Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This sermon is from our epic retreat, and in our second session, Matt Densky teaches from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10, and talks about what it looks like to live life in a graveyard. Matt talks about how God is just as present in the dark valleys of our lives as he is on the mountaintop, and how life can come from those valleys. Matt challenges us to invite God into these times and speak truth into it. We hope you enjoy this message. A couple weeks ago in June, or a few weeks ago now, I guess, in June, at the end of June, my family and I flew out to Colorado. I was visiting um, a ministry out there, and they're doing some incredible things, and I was meeting some of their people and presenting um, some things to them, some of of what I teach, and blah, blah, blah. And um, if you've ever flown out west, anyone flown out west? Show of hands. Yeah? Okay, I don't know if this has happened to you. If it has, please let me know so that I can feel better about myself, because I'm a little embarrassed about this. But, um, but when you fly from our climate in the south, South Carolina is very humid, and we're like right there at sea level almost, and it's very green and lush and, and um, you know, moist, like it's just always wet everywhere, right? When you fly west, and when you do it in a flight, I mean, it happens like that. So three and a half hours, you go from sea level, lush, humid, wet, to a, a totally different climate. Where we flew in Colorado was high mountains, arid, dry, right? And you're, you're like uh, above 10,000 feet. I mean, it's just such a, a jolt to your system to do it in a plane as opposed to driving. Your body adjusts a little bit slower. And so we fly out to Colorado, and, and we land, and uh, we're in the airport, we go find our bags, and we go to the rental car place, and we have a reservation, and we're talking to the guy behind the counter, and he's like, he looks at my license, he goes, oh, Columbia, man, I'm a Gamecock. I was like, really? Of all places in the world, <laughs> of all places in the world, he's working at an enterprise in the Colorado, the Denver airport, so go and visit him, I guess. Um, but he's like, yeah, I'm from Columbia, and so we started talking, and so he's like, all right, if you follow me, I'll, I'll take you to your car. And so, so far, since we've gotten off the plane, I've been inside, all right? I haven't been outside yet. The air hasn't hit me yet, the dry air, the, the aridness of Colorado climate, it hasn't hit me. So we're following this guy out to our car, and uh, the sliding glass doors open, and as I walk through them, the moment that that Colorado air hits me, like my first breath, no joke, and my team already knows this because I told them about it, I'm so, I was so embarrassed by this, the moment that air hits me and I inhale it, my nose just starts gushing blood, like instantaneously, and I've always struggled with nosebleeds, anyone else in the house? Really? Okay, I don't feel that bad now, I'm, I'm, I've always been like a little embarrassed by this, but the reason I always have a bandana in my back pocket is because my nose will randomly bleed for no reason at at all, it just goes, and typically it's the weather change that gets it, like when seasons change. And so it can just start bleeding for nothing. And I'm not talking about like, oh, it it dripped a little bit. I mean like full on, within 10 seconds, there's like three liters of blood on the floor. Like people don't know what to do with it. When I was a little kid, the the daycares and the after school programs and stuff like that, I have vivid memories of like laying down on my back surrounded by bloody um, washcloths and napkins and toilet paper and tissues that the people were like trying to get me to stop bleeding and they couldn't and they would have to call my mom. Like it was that serious of a nosebleed. When you get a mom call for your nosebleed, like something's wrong. Like, oh, we need a blood transfusion. Why? His nose is bleeding. <laughs> like it just, 
I've got some serious nosebleeds. And the Colorado air, that dry air, that crisp, cold air, when it hit me, I was so used to the South Carolina climate, and it was such a, 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 a quick change that my nose just started bleeding. But the guy in front of me is trying to show me the car, right? And so I don't want to be that dude that's like, uh, hey, man, I suffer from chronic nosebleeds. Could you just pause on your demonstration and let me take care of this? It's going to take about half an hour. So I'm trying my best to engage with him without letting him know what's happening, okay? So I didn't want to, like, pitch my nose and be like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. I, don't bite me. I just love scuba diving. <laughs> like, like, I didn't want to do that. So my strategy was I'm just going to tilt my head back and just keep, like, sniffing. Like, just, like, hold the blood at bay. You know what I mean? Like, create a, a force field that this sucker cannot come. So if you can imagine, this guy just met me. He knows I'm from Columbia. We talked about a USC and Gamecock country and all that. And so here he is. He's, he's like, walking around the car. He's like, sir, if, if you'll walk around, can you inspect it for any scratches, any dents, any damage, anything like that? We want to make sure you're comfortable. Sir, here are your, here are your child seats uh, for your two children. We want you to install them so that you can feel comfortable with the security and safety of these car seats. Uh, and so we want you to buckle them in and stuff. Uh, sir, if you'll come up. Sir, can you sign this? So the whole time, I'm like... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, that looks fine, dude. Oh, car seats. Thanks, man. I got it. Like bringing the seatbelt. Uh-huh. No, dude, I'm good. Yeah. No, it's good, man. Like the whole time. Dude, if you can imagine meeting someone for the first time, it's like, what's up? I'm Matt. What's up, man? What's up, man? It's like, Oh my gosh, bro, I'm about to perform an exorcist on this dude. Like something is going on. This guy is rabid. He's got some rabies or something like that. The whole time I'm, I'm at Enterprise with this guy, I'm walking around the car. My son has found a bunny rabbit. He's off in the grass playing with his bunny rabbit. My wife has our, our baby. He's like screaming his brains out. So she's, she's not even engaged. It's basically down to me and this dude. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Give me that piece of paper. Yeah, uh-huh, I got it. Like, he's, dude, <laughs> the look on his face is like, should I call a priest or should I run? Like, what should I do with you? That shift into the dry, arid climate, it just sparked this nosebleed. And, and, and we were in Colorado for seven days straight. And I kid you not, it was a nonstop nosebleed nonstop. The entire week, like maybe, maybe it would subside for, you know, a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but it was like this paper thin defense. The slightest wind, a gust, like if a gust of wind hit my face, like it would just start pouring out again. It was the most embarrassing week of my life. I basically had to walk around that entire conference. Yeah, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you, man. No, I'm cool. I'm not weird. <laughs> you can trust me. Like it's just the weirdest, that climate messed with me. A dry, arid climate. And that's the effect that, that um, dry and arid climates can have. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the desert, but it's a similar thing. It's just sunny, it's hot, but it's dry. You know, typically when we think of the desert, we get those images of like the animal skeleton, like decaying in the sun with some vultures picking at it or something like that, or some like lone lizard just scurrying across the sand somewhere, maybe a cactus. Like, we typically get these images of just almost lifeless, like right on the brink of, of death. Like, nothing's flourishing, nothing's really growing all that well. And if we're really honest, sometimes that's how we would describe our spiritual lives. Like, this climate that just seems dry and, and, 
arid, and man, it's affecting me. Like, it just hits me in the face. Like, in an instant, I just feel the difference. I went from, like, lush and living and this vibrant relationship with Jesus to now, all of a sudden, it's just almost absent. Like, I'm trying to adjust to this thing, and I'm having the hardest time, and it's affecting everything. It's throwing me off entirely. I'm in a a desert of sorts. This morning, we're going to look at a, a guy named Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn here. He's in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a minute here because Ezekiel is one of those books that's in one of those places, and you're, you may be thinking, dude, where is Ezekiel? So, guys, if you need to use your table of contents, that's no problem. Go ahead and use it. Sometimes I have to use mine because I forget where things are. But flip to your table of contents, find out where Ezekiel is, peg the page number, and go there. That's no problem. But we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37 this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen for you as well. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament. And if you were a prophet, you had a very special role. Your role is to foretell the word of God and foretell the word of God. In other words, God would speak to these prophets, and, and um, to be a, there were both. There were, there were male prophets and female prophets, and, and they were these instruments of God's voice. And in order to be a prophet, you really had to be finely in tune with what God is saying and what he's doing, because Half of your role is to foretell the word of God, to be his mouthpiece. God is speaking, but he's channeling it through me, and I'm going to declare it to the nation or to a region or to a people group or something like that. In fact, prophets were typically not very liked. They were lonely. They were isolated. They were often depressed because a prophet's job is basically to take this message of God and go to people and say, here's what God is saying, and I know he hasn't said it to you, but he said it to me to say to you. And so they were often the target of resentment or anger or, man, we don't want to listen to you. We want to keep living our life our own way. So prophets oftentimes had a bad rap. They were very lonely. They were, they were very isolated. Uh, they were kind of on the fringe. So their job was to foretell or foretell the word of God and foretell. So sometimes God would reveal to them events or images or truths about a distant future that has not happened yet. He would give them these visions or sometimes dreams about things that were going to happen but haven't happened yet, futuristic events. And he would tell the prophets, hey, you need to tell the people about this vision that I just showed you. And so oftentimes prophets were almost seen even as a little mentally unstable, like they're talking about things that haven't happened, that, that people are questioning, really, will that happen? And they're saying, yeah, man, in 20 years, this is going to happen. You guys better get ready. Or in two days, this is going to happen. You better get... And so their job was to declare what God is saying in the here and now and to declare what God is, is saying in the distant future. And they're calling people to, to repent, to respond to what God is saying, and to change their life because of it. And so to respond to a prophet's message, you either had to believe that what they're saying presently applies to me, or what they're saying about a distant event that we haven't even experienced yet applies to me, and I need to change my heart in regards to that message. They had a hard job. In fact, to be a prophet, you had to be on the money. Like, your whole profession depended on your accuracy or you telling the truth. In the Old Testament, if you were a prophet and you made a prophecy and it did not come to pass, in other words, your words were proven to be untrue, you were killed. Like, you were, you were killed. I mean, it's basically like, yeah, that prophet's no good, kill him. <laughs> like, talk about, like, job uh, risks, you know what I'm saying? Like, basically, everything you say has to be true. 
And if it's not, you're killed. Like a prophet had a dangerous job. He was not very liked. He's always the person taking the message of God to the people. And people often respond negatively to that message. He had a very hard job. Ezekiel is a prophet. And Ezekiel is kind of a, he's a whole different breed of prophet, man. A lot of scholars think Ezekiel might have been a little mentally unstable to begin with. He's just a very interesting guy. And yet the whole book, God is using him to be his mouthpiece and to be his visionary for the people of Israel. And he's calling his, his people back to a life of, of following God. But we're going to pick up Ezekiel's story in chapter 37. This is where we're going to pick up his story, all right? So this is Ezekiel talking, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. We all there? We all there? Thank you. Okay. All right. Stay with me now. A quiet church is a dead church oftentimes, so feel free to engage with me here, people. Thank you. Oh, appreciate that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. A thousand points to Team Johnny. Wow. Johnny's his own team. He's in third place right now. He's really feeling it. All right. Verse uh, 1, chapter 37. This is Ezekiel writing. He says this. The hand of the Lord. What's it say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it all caps, Lord? Yes. yes. So what's it say? Yahweh. The hand of Yahweh. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit. So we're talking about this weekend. We believe that when the Spirit of God shows up, a movement of God happens. He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I'm going to pause here and just, like, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Ezekiel says, God had his hand upon me. The hand of God in the Old Testament is, is often symbolism for the power of God, the control of God. And so God, in his power and in his control, he's protecting Ezekiel here, but he, he brings him to this place. This is very important. The hand of God was upon me, and he brought me in the spirit of Yahweh and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. There was death all around me. Like, this is not just death. This is like old death. Like, he's, he's been dead a long time. There are bones everywhere. Anybody seen Lion King? Yeah? Ele elephant graveyard? You know what I'm talking about? This is what's going on. Elephant graveyard, except it's not elephants, it's people. People graveyard. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of bones. And he led me. God is leading Ezekiel around this place. He led me around among them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So Ezekiel is describing some of the details. He's letting us know they've been here a long time. They're dried out. There's, there's nothing about them that would resemble any sense of these are, this, this is a fresh skeleton right here. No, like this is a graveyard. This is a valley of bones right here. They're dry. It's arid. This is a desert. It's a valley. One of the most frequent conversations that I have with students is about your faith and how it feels Kind of how Ezekiel is describing this. I have conversations with students all the time, all the time, at least on a weekly basis. 
and they'll describe to me their current reality of, of their walk with Jesus, of their faith. And it sounds a lot like this. Matt, man, I, I just feel like I'm in such a low place. Is a valley not a low place, right? It's a low place between higher places. I just feel like I'm in such a low place. Dude, I, I, I just feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the darkness, like I, almost like I'm surrounded by death or decay. Like my faith hasn't experienced life in such a long time. You might describe it like this. I just haven't felt Jesus. I just haven't felt intimacy with Jesus. I haven't felt excitement about Jesus. And a lot of the language that gets used is almost like a graveyard. Man, I just feel, it just feels so dark. I feel like it's such a low place. It's just so dry. It's so lifeless. It's, I just don't sense that I'm growing. I, I just don't sense God moving. I just don't sense that I'm flourishing in this time in my life. And I don't know what to do, man. Is there more than this? Or is this what my faith has become? Will I ever get out of this? Is there a way out of this? You ever been there? I mean, this is a, this is a regular conversation I have with students. My faith feels dead. I do not feel Jesus right now. I am not experiencing Jesus like I once was. I feel like I'm in a low place. It feels like death is around me. My faith is dying. I mean, it's, it's so incredibly easy to feel those emotions and experience those things in your faith and somehow equate, well, if this is the reality of my circumstances, then I guess God is absent. All of a sudden, we start comparing mountaintop experiences, like an epic retreat weekend. We start comparing mountaintop experiences to depth of the valley experiences, and we become dissatisfied. And we think, man, where, where is God here like he was there? That was awesome. Bro, why can't the worship band like follow me around at school every day and just play, man? And I'll just be worshiping. You are worthy. Like in the hallways, my home school. Yeah, I, don't, I've, I haven't forgotten about you guys. I haven't forgotten about you guys. Can you imagine using the bathroom at your house? You got Johnny outside the door strumming his guitar. You are worthy. And you're like, oh, yeah. It'd be a nice setup. Faith would endure. Man, where is God there? Man, I, I, I miss the feeling like I had at Epic. I miss the feeling like I had at that high point. I miss the feeling when it was on the mountaintop, when I could just see everything and the, and the wind was fresh and the air was crisp and I was just surveying it and I had crystal clear vision and it was so good. Where, how come I don't feel God like that anymore? Instead, I just feel like I'm in a low place. It's dark. I feel like God is absent. It feels like death. We are amazing creatures who prescribe God to act and show up and manifest himself in one way all the time. That when we experience God on a high place, in a, in a certain way, all of a sudden it's like we need that, that form of God all the time. I'm reminded of, um, you know, last night we talked about Moses. Moses met God at Mount Horeb, and God called him to go and free the, the people of, of Egypt. Eventually Moses would come back to Mount Horeb, and that's where he would receive the Ten Commandments, the law of God, showing us how to love God and love each other. When God gives the law to Moses, the mountain becomes encased and surrounded with this huge windstorm. And the, the rocks are shaking. There's this earthquake that rattles the foundation of the mountain. And fire like <laughs> falls from heaven on top of the mountain. And Moses is just up there in the middle of this. And that's how God is revealing himself to Moses. 
A couple hundred years later, there's this prophet named Elijah. Elijah has a mountaintop experience. Literally, he goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he, he challenges all these worshipers of this false god. Hey, let's, let's show whose God is real. You call down fire from heaven, I'll call down fire from heaven. Whoever's God answers, that's the real God. It's this huge battle, it's amazing. First Kings 18, you can read all about it. Well, Elijah emerges victorious out of that and sinks into this deep depression. And so what he does is really, really interesting. He spends the next 40 days wandering the wilderness, the back country of Israel. How many years did Moses wander the wilderness? Moses, how many years? 40, 40. So 40 is a significant number. Elijah decides, I'm going to wander the wilderness for 40 days. I can't do 40 years, but I'll replicate 40. I'll do it 40 days. And he goes to Mount Horeb, the very mountain of God. He climbs to the top of the mountain, and God asks Elijah this question, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah starts explaining, man, I, dude, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one left. I just feel like my world has fallen apart. I feel like I'm the only one really trying to do this and live for you. And so all of a sudden, this amazing thing happens. When Moses was on top of Mount Horeb, receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, wind showed up, this huge windstorm, earthquake showed up, fire showed up, and God is, is revealing himself to Moses. Elijah is on that same mountain. He's replicated the number 40. He's come to the same place. He's on the same height. And he says, God, where are you, man? I'm just... And all of a sudden, this huge windstorm shows up. <sighs> it's really interesting. First Kings chapter 19, and the Bible says, but God wasn't in the wind. Interesting. Because he was in the wind when he did it to Moses, but he's not here. And then all of a sudden, this earthquake comes, like starts rumbling the whole foundation of the mountain, and rocks are falling and breaking and shattering. I mean, Elijah's ducking for cover. And the Bible says, and God was not in the earthquake. Well, that's interesting because God was in the earthquake with Moses at the same place with the same number, 40. Like, this is a significant thing. And then all of a sudden, this firestorm comes out of nowhere, surrounds Elijah, just fire everywhere. And the Bible says, and God was not in the fire. Well, that's interesting because he was in the fire with Moses. And so get this, Moses is on top of Mount Horeb and God shows up with wind, earthquake, and fire and gives him law. Elijah goes to the top of Mount Horeb and wind, earthquake, and fire show up, but God is not in any of them, and God asks him again, why are you here, Elijah? Let me ask you again. Elijah answers, man, I'm just falling apart. Dude. And all of a sudden, this gentle breeze comes by. I mean, as light as a whisper. You could miss it if you just weren't tuned in for it. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, and God was in the breeze. Elijah, I think, I think Elijah was almost trying to manipulate God. Like put a quarter in, get a gumball out type thing. God, if I go to the same place that Moses went to, and if I expect the same things, wind and earthquake and fire, then you'll show up because I'm looking for you. And man, we do the exact same thing. We experience God in, in a certain way at some point in our lives, and it's almost like it blinds us to the reality that he can show up in a whole bunch of different ways elsewhere too. And a lot of us are standing on the same mountaintop that we've been on before and we're experiencing similar elements to what happened before, and we're not feeling God. And maybe it's because you're looking for him and all these other things, and he's over here trying to whisper to you in this gentle breeze. 
We have this amazing ability to say, God, if you've shown up in this way before, then that's how you've got to show up every way. And if I've ever experienced you on a mountaintop, then that's how I need to experience you always. And it's just not true. When your faith is in the valley surrounded by bones and death, God is just as present there as he was on the mountaintop. God is not absent because it's a valley. He's not any less present just because it's dark and low and hard. The mountaintop is not meant to be permanent in your life. Neither is the valley. But they both contain the presence of God in different ways. But most of us, when we're in the valley, we're somewhere trying to look for the mountaintop again. Get me out of here, man. I just need to experience God. Instead of listening in that moment for his breeze. Look at what the scriptures say. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit, and he set me in the valley. We have this remarkable ability to think when life gets hard, when we're in the valley, that somehow God has not brought us there for a purpose that he has for us. We immediately say, man, this is hard. Dude, I don't want to be here. What happened to my mountains? I wish, man, this, is, this can't be of God. And we try to escape it rather than embrace it. It's God who often brings us into the valleys to reveal himself in different ways to us. It's God who led me around to the skeletons. It's God who's showing me all this death around me. Don't try to escape the valley. Embrace the valley. Listen for how God is revealing himself even in the depths of the darkness of your faith. That's a season of life. Don't try to escape it. God is just as present in the valley as he is on the top of the mountain. Just as present. So God is kind of giving Elijah this tour of the valley. And he asks him this question, verse 3. He says, son of man, can, can these bones live? Now you understand, the, you understand the question. Hey, here's death. Like these people have been dead a long time. Everything's like gone except their skeletons. Skeletons are all scattered around. Uh, Ezekiel, do you think these bones can live? I mean, what would you say to God? Like every, Really? You'd say yes like that quick. I mean, every piece, you say yes because maybe you know the story. But every piece of logic at this point is like, well, I mean, oh, you know, usually when people die and they turn into skeletons, they don't reverse that. Like, that's a pretty permanent state. And, and God is asking him, Elijah, uh, 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 Ezekiel, do you think that these bones can live? Remember, if a prophet says the wrong thing, if they prophesy falsely, they get killed. I mean, imagine like, hey, do you think these can live? If I answer this wrong, I'm dead. So Ezekiel's actually really smart. Look at what he says. He says, well, God, um, God, you know. You, You know the answer to that. It's a smart answer. He says, God, you know the answer. And then God says to me, all right, I want you to prophesy over these bones. I want you to say to them, I want you to speak over them. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath. What's that word? Yeah, breath. What's, but what's the word? Ruah. I will cause spirit. I will cause life. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and I will put breath, ruah, life, spirit in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded, 
And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. This earthquake was taking place. I mean, you can imagine Ezekiel is standing there. All right, Bones, this is what God says, man. This is crazy. God, okay, here I go. Like, this is what God says. He's going to do this. He's going to reverse this. He's going to put sinews on you. I'm just telling you what he told me to tell you, Bones. <laughs> and as Ezekiel's speaking to the bones, this rattling begins to take place. You can imagine this whole valley of bones, thousands upon thousands of bones just start to rattle and rattle and rattle. And all of a sudden, like arm bones are finding their, themselves and, and, and leg bones are, are finding pelvises to plug into and, and feet are attaching to shins and all of a sudden these skeletons are just forming and, and finding each other and the bones are joining together. This rattling was taking place. Bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews upon them and flesh had come upon them. And so all of a sudden these skeletons are finding themselves and kind of like standing up and, and sinews become wrapped around them, these connective tissues and tendons and nerves and muscles begin to form around these skeletons and then skin gets wrapped around those muscles. The process of death and decay is being reversed right in front of Ezekiel's eyes. We've heard of resurrections in the Bible before, like people who were dead and then brought back to life, but the process of death being reversed like this. This is a very unique passage of scripture and it's all unfolding in front of Ezekiel's eyes. So they were all standing, they had skin on them. Look at the tail end of verse eight, but there was no breath in them. There was no life, there was no ruah, no spirit. Verse nine, then God says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, Ezekiel, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and then breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And so God has brought Ezekiel to this place of death, this low point, this valley surrounded by darkness and death. And God says, Ezekiel, do you think I can reverse this? Do you think these bones can live again? And I would say for a lot of us, in your faith, in your lowest points of faith, when you're questioning God and questioning Jesus and wondering, man, is this thing even real? God is asking you a similar question. Do you believe I can take you out of the valley? Do you believe I can bring life from the valley? Do you think I can reverse this? Do you think I can make something out of this in your life? And just like Ezekiel, man, that's a hard question. Well, God, you know. Like, I, may, I don't even know if I have the hope or faith to answer that right now, God, but you know. And Ezekiel begins to speak over these bones, and God does this miraculous thing right in front of him. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I mean, this must have been a, a battle or a war at some point that took place in this valley, and now all these deceased soldiers are there, this army is there, and bones are finding bone, and tendons and, and connected tissue are being wrapped among them, and muscles and skin, and the whole process of death is reversed, and then there's just these shells of, of bodies standing there, but they're lifeless, they have no ruah, and God says, now speak to the wind, speak to the spirit, and invite him in, and so God's breath enters into this army of death and they receive life and they are standing there alive and well it's an amazing sight I mean I imagine Ezekiel's kind of like 
<laughs> kind of like Moses with the burning bush. Like, what am I seeing? Is this terrifying and enticing and exciting and beautiful? All these emotions. Verse 11, then God said to me, Ezekiel, these bones represent my people, the whole house of Israel. Behold, my people are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off from God. Does that not describe your faith sometimes when you're in the valley? Man, I just feel so dead. It feels like my bones are dried up. It feels like I'm cut off from Jesus. Dude, I just don't even know if I can endure this. That's exactly what the people of God were saying then. And God says, therefore, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to my people and say this, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and I'll raise you from your graves, O people, and I will bring you into the land. You'll know that I'm the Lord. You'll know that I'm Yahweh when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And then, verse 14, I will put my spirit within you. It's a declaration of truth that God wanted Ezekiel to take to his people. Because God's people for so long were saying, man, we just feel like death. We feel like so cut off from God. We're, we almost feel dried up. Our very bones are dried up. And so God takes his prophet, the foreteller and foreteller of God's word, takes him to a valley of dried up bones. And he says, Ezekiel, my people have been praying that they feel cut off from me, that they feel like this valley. Is that you tonight or this morning? Does that describe your faith? Have you in the past month or week or day said, man, I just feel dried up. I just don't feel close to Jesus. And God has heard the cries of his people. He takes his prophet to this place. He says, this, this represents what my people are praying. Ezekiel, do you think I can bring life here? Ezekiel says, man, you know. <laughs> All right, Ezekiel, speak to it. And God shows Ezekiel that he can bring life from death. He can make life in a graveyard. And I want you to know this morning that life can come in the valley. That life can come in the valley. The depth of the valley when it feels the darkest and when you feel so dried up and so disconnected from Jesus and you just feel like, dude, I don't even know anymore. I don't even know if this is real. I haven't experienced you like I once did. I mean, I'm not even on the mountaintop. I don't even know how to get there anymore. God, is this all there is? And I want you to know God hears those prayers. And he modeled this thing to Ezekiel that life can come from a valley. We get this into our heads that when we're in these low places of our faith, when we're no longer on the mountaintops, that God can't show up, that life can't come from this, that somehow we have to remove ourselves from that circumstance in order to experience life in Jesus again. And I want you to know, you don't. That life is in the valley just as it is on the mountaintop. It's a matter of perspective. Sometimes we're looking for God in, in ways that we've experienced him before and all the while we're missing how he's trying to show up here and now. We're missing some burning bushes. We're missing the, the whispers of God, the gentle breezes of God because we're looking for him in all the wrong ways. And when we get into the valley, we think, man, this is death. This can't be real. Man, I gotta get out of this. And I want you to know God brings life from a valley, that God is just as present with you. And I'm not saying it's easy. I know it's so hard to go through the valley. I know it's so hard when it's dark and lonely and you feel isolated and you feel like you don't have the energy and you feel dried up and you feel like you can't endure and you feel like you're so ready to quit. You're this close to being done with Jesus. I know that's hard. But it's also a matter of perspective. Are you looking for life in the valley? 
or are you desperately trying to find it elsewhere? God is just as present with you in the valley as he is on the top of the mountain. Just as present. Life can come from the valley. God showed Ezekiel that reality. So in your life, what's dead? When you look around at your own life, what are the skeletons surrounding you? What's dead? Is it your faith? At one time it seemed alive and well, and man, you, you were just walking with Jesus and you thought this was awesome. And then life got hard and you didn't feel it like you once did. And you've been desperately trying to get back to that feeling and you just can't seem to get it again. Is it your faith? Is it your trust in Jesus, your faith? You look around you and maybe it's your, your family. I know a lot, a lot of us have some really bad home situations and you just think, dude, my, there's no way, there's no way that God could bring life in my family. Like my, my family is this whole other category that, that God's power and God's reach can't extend to. Like he can't redeem that. He can't heal the brokenness in my family. You view your family like skeletons. Is it circumstances of life? I mean, right, right now, God has just got me going through some stuff, dude. My heart is broken. My emotions are so fragile. Maybe it's your body, like something's going on in your body. You're suffering from something going on and you're just so confused. God, why would you let me go through this? Why have you brought me to a valley? Like, how can this be good for me? I mean, take me back to the mountain. Is it your friendships, your community? Just look around and you're like, dude, I'm so lonely. God, where was the living relationships I had? Where were my friends? Like, dude, I'm just so lonely. I feel so cut off. I feel so dried up. Do you think God can bring life from that? God brings life in the valley. He doesn't wait on you to get out of it before he brings it. Life can come from the valley, but, but go back to our story for a second. Just think about it. Ezekiel is in the valley, and God asks Ezekiel to do something very important. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to this. I want you to speak over this scenario and this situation. Some of us, when we are in the valley, we give up all hope. And sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes God does just just intervene on his own accord, in his own grace, in his own power, with his own agenda. He can intervene. He can do whatever he wants. But oftentimes, he's waiting on us to invite that process in. He tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, do you think I can do something with this? God, I, I don't know, but you know the answer to that. Well, then, Ezekiel, I want you to speak over this. I want you to, I want you to declare what I'm about to do in this. And Ezekiel begins to prophesy, and then death is reversed. Sometimes when we're in the valley, we look at a scenario and we're like, dude, I don't, I don't know. And we give up hope and we don't invite Jesus into it. We stop praying about it. We stop believing that God even wants to come into this. We don't invite God's help. In fact, we don't even ask for God's help. We come up with all these conclusions about why God would never fix this or do that or help this or this is too big of a deal and he can't fix. I mean, it's been this way for years. We don't even invite him into it. We're so convinced of the permanence of death in this scenario. But when the Spirit of God, when the Ruah of God shows up in the valley, life comes. A cemetery is reversed. Death is reversed. Decay is reversed. 
Life comes when the Spirit of God blows in. But oftentimes, God is waiting on you to invite that process to happen. So I would encourage you, what's dead in your life? But what do you want to be alive? What do you want to be alive? And I think God would pose the same question to you. Do you think I can bring life here? Do you really think I can do it? I mean, there's nothing more permanent than death. You think I can reverse this in your life? Would you have the faith to invite him? God, I don't know how this works, man. I, I don't know what to say, except would you, would you please bring life in what's dead and, and what's dead? Would you, would you please reverse this in my life? Would you please show me that life can come in the valley? Do you have the hope and the faith to pray like that? Or have you been convinced that because it's dead, it's permanent? I want you to know God brings life in the valley. When the Spirit shows up, a movement happens. So what's dead in your life? And what will you invite God to reverse? What will you speak to and allow Jesus to bring life? Let's pray. God, we love you. Your word is amazing. We can't believe the truth and the reality that you reverse death. fact, God, you do it all the time in your, in your scriptures. There's story after story of something that's permanent and dead, and you show up, your spirit shows up, and then it's alive. And Jesus, right now, a lot of us are struggling in our faith with the reality of our life, and we would just pray, desperately pray. We would invite you in, spirit, that you would blow in our lives, that the wind would blow, and that you would reverse death, and that you would show us that life can come from the valley, that we don't have to be outside of the valley to find life, that we don't have to be absent of the circumstances that are creating death to have life, but God, you are the life giver, and your wind blows where he pleases, and he brings life. Would you blow in our hearts this morning? We ask in Jesus' name.